The Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. Chapter 10 Legs and Lungs Before October 6th, Pre-Smoker Anxiety The next event in the fraternity was called Smokers. The brothers did their best at trying to make us as scared as possible before the event. For weeks, they built it up as one of the worst events. Because believe it or not, we are going to have to fuck a barnyard animal. It was a very unsettling feeling, like an exam I didn't want to take, because it was going to be awful. But I knew that I'd feel happy when it was over. Except, happiness would be substituted by darkness, embarrassment, shame, and a loss of dignity. The fraternity brothers would laugh whenever they talked about smokers. It was hard to determine if they'd laugh because they were pulling a fast one on us, or if they thought it was funny that we had to fuck an animal. Tony said he didn't know if he would be able to get his dick hard enough to fuck a sheep, or a goat, or any animal for that matter. A few days before the event, I was sitting at Chippy and Eric's place, smoking some weed with John. We got extremely high, big surprise there, and got to talking. We talked about how when we were presented with a sheep to fuck, if we'd even be able to get hard enough to perform the act. One of the brothers had told us that for him to do it, he had to use a thumb to push it in. While John and I were talking, Chippy and Eric decided they had heard enough. Eric said, What makes you think that it's a sheep? John and I both looked at one another, hoping that Eric was about to share some privileged information with us. What is it? I asked. I'm not saying what it is, because I can't. Nobody can. The brothers are just telling you what they had to fuck. Some had to fuck goats, some sheep. It's all up to Grandma Colt, because the animal has to be tame and in heat, Eric added. What the fuck? Telling me to fuck an animal in heat is like watching a koala bear swim, John said angrily. What, John? I asked, knowing what he meant, even though it made no sense, but razzing him a bit, while I took in the Grandma Colt idea. A koala bear swimming? It just doesn't fucking happen. Whatever. I'll fuck a goat. I'll fuck two, John said. I will never forget this conversation, because it carried on into our event when he said it again, full of excitement. I also remember it, because at the time, I thought it was not only disgusting, but true of John's ballsy character, and hysterical. Eric left the conversation like that, with us left thinking. This was the worst mind fuck of all, because our minds were our own worst enemy. Your mind can conjure up such fierce opponents for you to face, like goat fucking, that you're defeated before you even face your challenge. The ridiculous part of all of this was that none of us considered quitting pledging. We were all focused on how to overcome the upcoming event, not avoid it. Man, I was twisted. Yeah. I didn't. I don't remember saying that at all, and like to 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 to, to bring it to that level. <laughs> Whatever's in heat. Whatever's in heat. That's what you're fucking. The animal has to be willing. <laughs> at least I was concerned about that. At least, at least I I had some empathy for the animal. The most fucked up part of the entire story is just. In the end, in my own reflection, like that we had all kind of 
mentally decided we were going through with it. You came to terms with it. Yes. <laughs> Way too quick. October 6th. New peeps. When I was walking to class, I physically bumped into a girl. She was cute, so while I was apologizing for my clumsy nature, I asked her what her name was. She told me it was Samantha. She said she saw me a few times around campus. I asked her if she wanted to smoke weed sometime, and she said yes. That was a very short chapter. October 6th. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. That that was a very short chapter. It it just needs to the character just needs to be inserted. It's a palate cleanse. Yeah. It is a palate cleanse after <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, uh filler story. So I met a girl named Samantha. That is important. October 6th, Smokers. We were told at the pledge meeting a few days before to make sure we all had non-expired condoms for the event. LT said, because we'd most likely be fucking a sheep, we didn't want to get any diseases. On the night of the event, we met with Chippy, Eric, and LT after the library. We handed over our pledge books, pledge packs, and pledge pins. LT made sure we had at least two condoms. He became very serious and told us to sit down on the kitchen floor. We did, and he spoke. Guys, I want you to know that nobody would hold it against you if you didn't want to fuck an animal tonight. If you want to quit pledging right now, you can do so. We have your pins and interview books, so it's not a problem if you want to walk out of here and quit. Nobody in the room budged. We didn't even look at one another. LT knew, and we knew, that we weren't going anywhere. He was either trying to test us or give us one last out. Alright then, so we're going to Grandma Colt's house to fuck a sheep, or a goat. Savvy? James asked LT, you don't mind if we take a few gravities before we go, do you? LT stood there quiet for a moment, looking at Chippy and Eric. Chippy chimed in. No, fuck that. Go get in my truck and let's go already. Wait, hold on, Alexi. Remember we have the drinks for them anyways. If they want to get retarded, let them have some gravity bongs. If I had to fuck a sheep or a goat again, I'd want to be way more fucked up than I was, LT said. He turned back to us and continued. Boys, Eric was nice enough to buy two forties for everyone. Say thanks to Eric. Thanks, Eric, we all said. Don't thank me. Well, Mike can. The rest of you should thank your big brothers, Eric humbly replied. We started uncapping our bottles when LT added, Just don't get so fucked up that you can't perform because you don't get to leave tonight until the act is done. LT reminded us we were there to fuck an animal, not to have fun. It wasn't supposed to be fun for the pledges anyways. I didn't care what the fuck Liam had to say. I was going to try and get sloppy within minutes. I said to the guys, Hey, we should just pound these now. Eric heard me say it and suggested, Hey guys, you may not want to get too wasted now. It's a long drive to Mrs. Colt's house, so you may sober up by the time we get there. We decided that what he said didn't make any sense and we kept drinking. We pounded our drinks and quickly became drunk. The brothers kept talking about how awesome it was going to be to go back to Grandma Colt's house. As a group, we did our best to ignore them. 
When Chippy realized we were deliberately ignoring them, he told us to start cannonballing our beer and bong hits. We didn't know what a cannonball was, so Chippy explained it to us. God, I love cannonballs. Cannonballs when you... Yeah, cannonballs, uh, I haven't taken one in a long time. What was... <coughs> okay, so cannonball... Oh, thank you for that. <clears throat> I'm sorry? What was that? I said thank you for that. Go ahead. Uh, cannonballs were... <laughs> oh, my death rattle. <laughs> cannonballs were... Pound the... Uh, take the take the bong it. Pound the beer. Exhale, right? Yes. What was the one that was... Uh, take the bong hit. Oh, it was, it was suicides, wasn't it? Take the bong hit, pound the beer, take a shot, then exhale. <sighs> I or it's shot, it's shot, then pound the beer. I hate you so much. I don't remember. Keep going. You take a bong hit, hold it in, chase it with a beer, and then blow it out. Trust me, it'll get you nice and good for some goat squirts. Chippy said that if we wanted to get fucked up, Cannonballs were the way to do it. He wasn't giving us a choice. We had to start cannonballing after his explanation. Once we started cannonballing, it didn't take long for us to get obliterated. After a half hour, we started to loosen up. It was just too bad that the goat, or sheep, wasn't with us taking cannonballs too. It could have been getting loosened up as well, and maybe wouldn't have wanted to kick us. When the brothers said, it was time, we started using every excuse we had to stall. I still have a beer to drink. Okay, just one more bong hit. Sure, let me just take a piss. We tried anything and everything to try and slow down the penile agony we were about to endure. When we finally headed out to the parking lot, we were presented with our jet black blindfolds. Each time that I had an event where I was blindfolded, I always got an uneasy feeling in the pit of my stomach because I was unsure what was going to follow. My senses were at the complete mercy of the fraternity. We each slid into the back of Eric's truck with Chippy at the wheel and started driving to Grandma Colt's house. I peeked through my blindfold and we were still by Chippy's house. I wondered where the hell Grandma Colt's house was. I wanted to have an idea of where we were going. We had just left Chippy's house and he must have driven around the block for some reason because we were still by his house. He could have just turned right out of the parking lot instead of circling the block. None of you better be fucking looking out the bottom of their blindfolds, two-strike! Chippy yelled. They drove around for such a long time, we began to get tired. We started out nervous, but the novelty of fucking an animal had left our minds, and the back of the cramped cab was becoming a small place for four drunken pledges. Strikeout. Strikeout. A strikeout, yes, that is your what it's called. strikes, and I just remembered it. Because <laughs> strikes needs a strikeout. I remember that. I, that. That is a memory that just came back to me because of this story. I knew I hated you for a reason, but I didn't want to go into detail in case uh, I talked about it later in this book, which I'm pretty sure I do. Yeah, strikes needs a strikeout. I remember, that is a very, very hazy. Very appropriate for the book. <laughs> yes. Well, this is a hazy podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, later in the book, I take them with Tommy, not with you. I never remembered it with you, probably because I was always so drunk. Well, they're designed to... I mean, it's... Yeah, they're, they're designed to mess you up. Successful. Yeah.
sliding around in the bed of the old truck because Chippy was taking turns like a fucking asshole. We found ourselves stuck in the corner on top of poor Tony Touch. Get off of me! Get off of me, guys! Come on! Tony pled. We tried to move off of him, but we were all pinned in the corner. We managed to eventually maneuver and pack ourselves tight like sardines. For the first time in our pledge period, we were able to balance in the back of the truck while Chippy was trying to whip us around. John joked, it'd be great if we got into a fucking accident and you have Cheech and Chong up there driving like they're trying to throw us on the road. When we arrived at Grandma Colt's house, I didn't want to get out of the sardine can. I'd rather be in there, being thrown around like a hot potato, than be at Grandma Colt's house. We were like four wasted uh, St. Bernard's in the back that had just figured out how to balance properly. That sounds like an appropriate description. Especially slobbering John as he's <laughs> talking about Cheech and Chong throwing us onto the road. And you had to have been so blitzed at this point. Outstandingly. Chippy helped us out of the truck, and we all gained our footing. The familiar voices in the packed driveway echoed in my eardrums. Since we were there, that meant we were going to have to go through with it. Up until then, I thought it was a trick. I felt sick to my stomach. There was no going back. I didn't know how I could go through with it. I wondered who outside the fraternity would know about it. I couldn't fuck a sheep. But I had to, because I already wasted two months on this bullshit. I battled inside my head because fear is a terrible thing, and it was making me paranoid. I wondered how after two months, I was ready to fuck a barnyard animal, based on the premise that these guys had done it before me. I tried to reassure myself about the situation by rationalizing the benefits. If continuing to pledge meant that I'd have to fuck a goat, or sheep, or whatever, that's what I would do. The trade-off was that I'd get to fuck hundreds of sorority girls, be a VIP at the most radical parties I'd ever seen, and practically live the life of a rock star for years to come. I'd lost my mind. Do you fuckers have your condoms? Kyle shouted, interrupting my racing thoughts. I smiled because I had made my compromise. Bitches it was. Yep, I got three in case it wants to go another round, I said to Kyle. John quickly shouted, Where the fuck are these goats? I'll fuck a goat. Shit. I'll fuck too. He was pumping himself up out of fear. I could hear the fear in his voice, but the brothers couldn't. I felt like I was starting to get to know my pledge brothers better than other people knew them. I knew John didn't want to put his cock in a sheep any more than the rest of us did. I guess you really start to get to know somebody when you are trying to do like a bestiality heist. I th yeah, I think it's like when a bestiality you, when heist a, movie. <laughs> when you're in a position to do something you never thought you'd ever have to do. And you're doing it with other people who are in the same exact position as you. You get really close really fast. And yeah. you, can, you can hear nuances to their character that other people might not even be able to pick up on. Yeah, no doubt. And you might be able to understand foreign drunken languages that they speak, like the too fast language, and nobody oh, else my. understands them, but you do. Yep. John's way through his fear was psyching himself up, and that was okay. After John and I had announced our condom inventory and a willingness to whore ourselves out, a reluctant Tony and a nervous James said that they had their condoms as well. All right then, come on, grab one another's shirts and follow me. 
We were like little kids being led across the street on a leash holding hands. One of the brothers grabbed John's wrist and led us to our embarrassing destination. We navigated across Grandma Colt's lawn to what I only imagined was a burlesque barn. I heard an old rickety screen door open. A brother spoke to us who I couldn't see and whose voice I didn't recognize. Welcome to my grandma's house, guys. I'm Gabriel Colt, and tonight I hear you guys are going to be borrowing one of our finest sheep. We don't want to mentally fuck up four sheep, so we got you one. You guys don't mind sharing, do you? This is so fucked, I said to myself. I remember being scared for this event. They led us into the house and up some stairs. They told me to watch my head as I walked in. When we got to the top of a staircase, they led us into a room and sat us down. They started chanting at us and bawling like sheep. After the brothers were done chanting, they went to another room to prepare the sheep. We were told to sit amongst ourselves in the room and remain quiet. My pledge brothers and I took our seats as we bumped into one another. We were all still blindfolded, making it a pretty dramatic experience. I'd say being blindfolded, no matter how hard a challenge is, adds an element of mindfuckery. It's amazing how unfor- I don't think- I don't think it- I think being blindfolded adds levels of tension to anything at all. Yeah. You can go check your mail blindfolded, and Terrifying. your stress level is through the roof. <laughs> Someone is trying to kill me on that day that I'm going to get my mail, if I'm blindfolded. Or is that the day that a drunk driver decides to troll by my house at 8am and crush right. me between me and my vehicle <laughs> that I could have er- easily sidestepped? <laughs> the most irrational fears just coming to life when you're blindfolded. <laughs> Absolutely. Even the idea of them is making uh, all of these rapid thoughts come to my mind of the ways that I could die blindfolded. <laughs> Familiar things can become when you're blindfolded and a little bit scared or anxious. We were all trapped in our own minds. Now we're going to get this fuckfest on, boys. Ron's going to take you in another room, and we're going to let you all get your thing on one by one, without the blindfold. This way you can concentrate. James, you're first. They took James out of the room, and then all we heard were the brothers screaming at him in another room. James was probably shitting himself. I was shitting myself for him. The yelling went on for about ten minutes, and finally, James came back into the room. He was accompanied by a few brothers, but we couldn't see who. He sat back down beside us and was able to whisper an important piece of information to us before the brothers called me. James whispered, Three riddles. Frat house. Not grandma's house. No winning. Trent Pereira said, Strikes your next, dude. Come get it over with. Oh, and James? If you say fucking anything, we will know, and we'll haze you even worse. You'll have to come back and fuck the sheep again. I was navigated to sit down in what I gathered to be a circle of candles. I could only tell because the flickering of the candlelight was slightly coming through my blindfold. I was sitting in front of some sort of fraternal shrine. I figured I was in the party room of the fraternity house because of what James said. Someone was sitting very close to me, blowing lots of smoke in my face. I could hardly see underneath the blindfold, even if I wanted to. Now I understood the smoker part of the event. One of the brothers said they had three questions for me. Someone was sitting very close to me, blowing lots of smoke in my face. I could hardly see underneath the blindfold, even if I wanted to. 
Now I understood the smoker part of the event. You know, in a 12-hour and 24-minute audiobook, sometimes double clips happen. That's all right. How did the brother not catch that? <laughs> <laughs> they only care about the start and the end. The rest, I guess, can be trash. Others said they had three questions to ask me. Okay, Mike, this is easy. There is a gun to your head, and you have to make a decision. Which flag do you burn if you have to burn a flag? The fraternity's flag or the American flag? I thought the first question they asked was a no-brainer, but I was wrong. This must have been what James meant when he said, no winning. I thought that the obvious answer was to burn the SIG-H flag, because the American flag stood for so much more. I debated answering, because they'd say that nothing comes before their fraternity. I decided the answer they'd rather hear was that I'd burn the American flag and not the SIG-H flag. I spoke with a strong voice and confidently said, I'm Canadian, so I'd burn the U.S. flag. When I answered, the house erupted in screaming brothers that called me unpatriotic. The screaming didn't last too long. Second question, Mike. You're driving a bus on a mountain's edge, and all of our SIG-H brothers are asleep on the bus. All of a sudden, a baby in a stroller crosses your path. You must decide to either swerve off the mountain, killing all of the SIG-H brothers, or stay on the path and kill the baby. <laughs> Listening to this right now makes me think of Chappelle in the ghetto when the baby's selling crack in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> baby! Get inside, baby! Shut up, bitch! I'm selling drugs! Why is there a baby on this mountain? <laughs> and why are we even on a mountain? Why are we taking a trip anywhere and allowing a pledge to drive on windy roads on a mountain where there's, I guess, presumably, signs of babies crossing roads. <laughs> what do you do? This question was cut and dry. I knew the answer they wanted to hear. I'd save my brothers over one baby, I said proudly. Shouts came from all over the room, saying I was disgusting. Another brother called me a baby killer, and it stuck. Many of the brothers started chanting, Fucking baby killer! while the others asked follow-up questions, such as, What's the name of your baby? What if you were pushing that stroller? What if that baby was going to cure cancer? Imagine being upstairs and not having gone down to the event yet, and you think you're going to... Excuse me, you think you're going to go fuck a barnyard animal, and then all you hear is, Fucking baby killer! <sighs> from the downstairs, like, what? Did they are... make him fuck a baby goat? <laughs> yeah. What is wrong with you two, Strike? Have you no emotion? I had failed at my second question, too. I was not doing too well, and I was hoping I would do better on my next question. Last question, Mike. Let's see if you can do a little better on this one. If you and a brother are alone in a forest, and he got bitten on the tip of his dick while he was pissing, would you suck the poison out, or would you let him die? I thought to myself, a cocksucker or a killer? I said, sorry, I'd let him die. The room roared and continued, How could you let your brother die? I said, What if I sucked it out and I die from it instead, or we both die? Then someone screamed, Nobody dies if you suck the fucking poison out. This is why I've never been able to take IQ tests, because I question the question. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and then I... 
illogically flip back and forth answers because both can be answered in like a logic pattern where I can make them somewhat true. God, I should have been a lawyer. <laughs> you're watching a you're watching way too much Star Trek. It's the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> exactly. There is no solution. Oh, I said. Then I'd suck it out. I realized my mistake by changing my answer. I had to accept the negative responses of both answers. You fucking cocksucker, they screamed. I knew if I said I would suck the poison out, they'd call me a cocksucker. The assholes always had a way of making us feel wrong. Alright, Mike, final bonus question, LT asked. Okay, I'm ready, I said. I hope you are, because the question is, are you ready to fuck a sheep? Yes, I guess, I said. They all started laughing. Bahaha, you're a dirty sheep fucking scum, Mike. I was so relieved when they told me I wasn't going to have to fuck a sheep. Even though I had a sickening feeling from all the smoke I'd been inhaling, I felt good. They took me back into our holding room after they had asked me all their questions. They said if I told any of my pledge brothers what they asked me, that I'd be blackballed. They said that the ears had walls and that there was always a brother close by. When I was taken back, and let me just tell you, that is not a mistake. The brothers always said shit backwards like that. Like, instead of the walls have ears, they'd be like, the ears have wall strikes. Yeah, I think that was just something that was done to mess with you when you were fucked up. Yeah, 100%. And it's funny, and it's hysterical. I knew John and Tony still had to go. I told them it would be okay, and it wasn't what we thought. Trent heard me and said, Shut the fuck up, two strikes. Out of fear of getting blackballed, I remained quiet while John and Tony were each called for their questioning. When we'd all finished, they brought us into the main party room and took our blindfolds off. The brothers were happy that we didn't quit. Even with the idea that we were going to have to lose our dignity to continue pledging, we didn't quit. They told us that sometimes in life, we'd have to sacrifice our desires for a greater mission. This meant that we'd have to put the interests of the fraternity before any one person. This mentality would allow us to carry on our traditions throughout the generations of brothers to come. The event wasn't that hard in the end. We were sent home, but John and I didn't want to go home though. Instead, we decided that we were going to go to Chippy and Eric's apartment and hang out for a little bit. Before we went to Chippy and Eric's apartment, we stopped by Carl and LT's house to buy some weed from Carl. We paid $150 for 10.5 grams of some beautiful-looking weed and took it to Chippy and Eric's place. When we got there, Chippy showed us some hash that he had picked up from Richmond. I'd smoked hash tons of times in high school, but everything in college was different. Everything in college tasted better, sweeter, and richer. When we sat in Chippy's room and smoked the hash, it was incredible. He packed John and I gravity bongs of hash and kept asking if we were high yet. The truth was, we were high after the first hit. When we finally did say we were high, he told us we had to count to five. We each had to take five more gravity bong hits of hash. John and I didn't even get to smoke our weed, we just smoked Chippy's hash. John and I became so high that we greened out, a term often used to describe ingesting too much weed. This had only happened to me once before, and it was the first time I really got high. I started to feel uncomfortable because all I wanted to do was get safely to my bed and not be bothered by a cop, Bev, an RA, or a random drunk. 
Time had flown by, and before we knew it, it was past 1 a.m. The hash was a brain buster, but it got worse. Chippy told us that we had to do three more hits each, and then he was kicking us out. He said, lucky number three for unlucky number two strike. After we took our gravity bong hits, I felt so lightheaded I could barely stand. I didn't want to say anything that made me seem like a pussy. John was tripping out too, but he didn't say anything about being lightheaded. Eventually, I conjured the power to stand up, and I said, Okay guys, it's late, and I have class in the morning. I'm going to head out. I looked at John, and he said, I'm going to head out too, guys. It's always better to be walking with someone else late at night, right? He laughed at his statement, because we were always racing around at night for brothers and whatnot, never thinking about our own safety. We left Chippy's house after saying our goodbyes. While we were walking, we had to stop and talk about how high we were. I feel like I'm seeing things, man, and I have, like, blurry vision, I told John. Everything almost looked like it was made out of cartoons and melting oil paintings. John was tripping out too, and I remember him laughing uncontrollably as he described his high as being too intense. When John and I reached the crest of the hill next to Chippy's house, we could see the headlights from a car creeping down the street many blocks ahead. As we got closer, we could tell the car only had one passenger in it. He appeared to be hanging out the passenger side window of the car. The car passed under a street lamp and revealed itself to be a police cruiser. The cops were ticketing every car on the street for illegally parking. When the car's occupant saw us walking, it came to a standstill in the road. Its headlights were beaming at John and I. By this time, we had already walked by LT's house. If we turned around and ran to LT's house, the cops would just wait outside the house until we left, which we would have to do eventually. We knew that the instant we got closer to the police cruiser, they'd ask us why we were out so late. We were also freshmen that reeked of amazing hash, so the only logical answer was to run. I said to John, let's fucking run, man. I was too late. John had already started running and was a few yards ahead of me. The police cruiser popped a U-turn and put on its lights. We ran by Mike's Pizza and through the backyard of ASIH's chapter house. A few of their brothers were drinking on their roof and cheered as they saw the police chasing us. We pushed through their backyard's large hedge wall and ran through the apartment complex that we had used as a shortcut many times before. We paused to catch our breaths and looked behind us to see if we had lost the cops. Then we saw two flashlights pushing through the hedges we had just gotten through. They were right behind us. We had to keep running, and I couldn't breathe. I was ready to keel over and die. We ran down a walking path and through a parking lot. We slid in a passageway behind the local bar and popped out by a bookstore in front of our dorm. Neither of us could breathe by this point. Even though we were young and athletic, we were fucking bent. John and I ran across the street to our dorm, and he almost got smoked by a car. He used his hands to stop himself from rolling up the hood and scared the absolute shit out of a young female driver. This, this, this is like the best story ever to cap off a night of almost thinking you're going to fuck a goat. You get extremely high, get chased by the police, and your buddy does a movie-style roll up on some girl's car, and she loses it. How how so though? How does how much does she lose it? Like it grabs her steering wheel so hard that the whites on her knuckles are showing and her hair blows sideways as she screams bloody murder. 
<laughs> was the car moving? Oh yeah. It was the cross <laughs> it was the crosswalk across the street. But we were like 50 yards in front of it or whatever and we were running as fast as we could and she probably wasn't paying attention texting whatever and she just makes contact with poor john knowles who looks at her like a rottweiler as he rolls up onto her hood but he does the move like a stuntman like he was ready for it to happen he was so full of adrenaline yes he could have got hit by a Hummer and just rolled off to the side and kept running. This is an amazing story. John threw her a wink, and we kept running. Since it was late, we knew Bev would be at the front desk. We entered the dorm through a side door as fast as we could, and we were safe to breathe again. When we caught our breath, we took the stairwell from the first floor to the third floor, completely bypassing the front desk. From there, we were able to walk through the third floor hallways to get to the fourth floor. When we discovered the secret entrance, we knew we'd be able to sneak into the dorms anytime we needed to. Our escape from the cops, our infiltration into the dorms, and our new secret entrance were a great finale to the night. That was smokers for me. Your smokers was pretty intense. My, uh... I... I don't remember... If my smokers was the same, like, I feel like it was a different event. Everything evolves over time. Yeah. Like, the way that we, like, I feel like we, it happened at our sweetheart's house, not the frat house. As far as I know, SIG H now has also merged a couple other events. Hmm. But we'll hear more about those events in the next stories to come. Sounds good.